All right, if you would take your Bibles this morning, go with me to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, the very first chapter, we're going to begin there uh, in verse number 29. When we, when we begin there, we'll find John the Baptist already out at the Jordan, preaching, preparing the way of the Lord, uh, and uh, the crowds gathering. And so we're going to kind of jump in uh, at that point. The crowd is there. They've been coming. They've been responding. Uh, they've not all been responding the way that he would like for them to respond. But uh, that's kind of what the Word of God does. It, it provokes a response. <clears throat> By the way, it, it should provoke a response. And we should respond correctly, but we don't always. And so, but that doesn't mean that we don't respond. Uh, and so sometimes I think we get settled into the mindset that, well, if I just don't, uh, if I don't respond to something that, that I, I'm just, I'm kind of dismissing it, that's a response. Uh, and so I don't want to be dismissive of the Lord's word, especially when God's speaking to my heart. But in John chapter one, we find John preaching, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to come. And so in verse number 29, uh, he, we see here the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, for which is, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. It's an interesting statement because John is actually six months older than Jesus is by human birth. Uh, and so, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come to baptize, am I come baptizing with water? And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, be an interpreted master, where dwellest thou? They wanted to know more. And I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, discovering the Lamb of God. And let's pray together. Father, again, we come to you and we ask as we open your word that you'd open our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you'd work freely in our midst this morning. I pray that you would eliminate distractions and that you would help us to lay aside the burdens and the cares of this world. And that we turn our attention, our focus onto your word this morning as your word focuses on our hearts. Lord, I pray that we respond to you properly. I pray that you'd bring conviction into our hearts where necessary. I pray that you would compel us to be more like our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we know that John the Baptist, and we know the story of John the Baptist, we're all, most of us here would be very familiar with what's taking place and what's going on. And John has... Uh, kind of been in the background other than knowing that he was coming in, Elizabeth, in his miraculous conception and birth uh, that's described to us in the New Testament. And then uh, really there's not anything up until this point, much else that's said about him. But here he is. He's, he's out here. He's not normal. He's not a normal person as far as like he does. He's not, he's not going to blend. 
Uh, and so there are, are times when, uh, you know, you go someplace and you can kind of blend in. And then there's times you go someplace and no matter what you do, you're going to stand out. Uh, and so that's John the Baptist. He's, he stands out. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't talk like everybody else. He doesn't act like everybody else. He doesn't dress like everyone else. And he doesn't eat what everybody else eats. He's, uh, he definitely is of a different, uh, a different breed. He is, he is not uh, what anybody that would get around him would look at and say, hey, this guy uh, is, is just like everybody else. He's very different. Uh, and Christians ought to be different. Uh, those that prepare the way of the Lord should be different. And so John comes uh, and he is preparing the way of the Lord. That's his purpose. That's it. He's not going to live much longer than this, much longer after this event. Uh, we know how his life comes to an end. He is uh, very confrontational. He is a prophet. He he does not uh, he does not excuse sin. He he uh, he. he points things out that need to be pointed out. He calls them the way that they are. Uh, and when you do that, that generally doesn't win you a lot of favor uh, with people that are anti-spiritual uh, growth in their own life. Uh, and so that, that's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, then we know that he is imprisoned and then uh, he ultimately offends the, the Herod and then he is beheaded uh, because of the offense to Herod's wife and her uh, want for uh, shaming him and, and reproach against him. So John isn't going to be with us long, but that doesn't mean that his life wasn't impactful. Uh, his life made a difference in the lives of many. And God selected him to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here he is out in the wilderness at the Jordan. And he's proclaiming righteousness. He's preaching truth. He's preparing the way. And there's a crowd gathering. Now, just because a crowd gathers doesn't mean that God's moving. Or that they're there sincerely. Now, in this case, there's a crowd gathering because God is moving, but most of the people that are there, at least a good number of the people that are there, uh, are not there because they are truly inspired by truth. They're coming to investigate what's going on. There's enough of a stir by those who are being genuinely affected by the Lord that the religious crowd has taken notice and they're, they're coming to the scene. And that's essentially who is here questioning him prior to and uh, whenever he, he comes and it says uh, in verse 23 he said I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord as said the prophet Isaiah and they which were with the that were sent of the Pharisees they said unto him they asked him and said unto him why baptizeth thou then if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, nor or Isaiah, that prophesies. And so he comes and says, hey, uh, and, and if you're not the Christ, why are you baptizing? And he says, listen, I'm not the Christ. I came to prepare the way of the Christ. And so they're questioning uh, the message. And John answering them, saying, I baptize with water. And there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. And these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. And then we where we picked up with our reading this morning. Then the next day Jesus came. So he's there. Ministry is ongoing and people are gathering. And some of them truly are there because they're looking sincerely for truth. 
But a good number of them are there because they're looking for political deliverance. That's really what Messiah was to the religious hierarchy. They were not looking for Jesus to come uh, and to save them from their sins. They were looking for Jesus to come and save them from the Romans. And so what they really wanted was political deliverance, not the deliverance of their souls from sin. And so that's their, their, their understanding of Messiah. Now, it's not a completely illegitimate understanding of Messiah. And most people uh, that, that are religious in nature, they, it's not that they have everything about the Word of God or their understanding of Christ wrong. But it doesn't matter uh, if, I, if I don't get it right uh, on, on maybe some minor issues. But if I don't understand that I've got to be, uh, my sin has to be atoned for and that I've got to put my trust in Christ and rely and depend upon him alone as my savior, then I'm going to end up in a bad way. And so they come looking for, uh, the lion. They're looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. They're looking for Jesus in the way that he's going to come the next time that he comes. They're looking for what we're looking for now. That, that rapture of the church and, uh, and the Messiah to come and rule and reign uh, from the throne of David. Uh, that's what they're searching for and that's the only Messiah that they're willing to accept. And so here's the, here's the reality then. They came looking for what they expected the Christ to be, not what the Christ actually was. My question to us this morning is, do we come to church this morning, do we come week by week, searching for a Jesus that fits the mold of our expectation or do we come sincerely seeking Jesus as he is? We have a tendency in our nature to fabricate what we want uh, our relationship with Christ to look like. But that's not the relationship oftentimes that God is giving us. And we need to come as Jesus came authentically, we need to come to him authentically. Jesus, I come humbly before you. Give me yourself as you are. Don't fit into the mold that I've imagined you to be. If I imagine Jesus in a way that he's not, then I'm going to have a perverted and a corrupted experience and expectation of my walk with him. They come trying to find the lion, but God sent the lamb. The, the last thing that they felt like they needed was a lamb. The last thing that they felt like could solve their problems was, uh, was a little sheep that couldn't fight off uh, a chihuahua, let alone a wolf. They were looking for uh, someone to come and, uh, and, and set them free. And Jesus came to set free their soul and their spirit. And so we see him as he comes this morning. I want you to hang on to that thought. What is my perception of God? Do I come looking to fit for a God that fits my perception of who and what God is? Or am I willing to come and allow God to reveal himself to me in his time and his way? They were content with their religion. That's their problem. They were content. Uh, they were discontent with their political circumstance and situation. I can't really blame them too much there. I think most of us, if we were in the political circumstance that they were in, would not be satisfied with that. Uh, and so and we would be looking for uh, some deliverance from that. I really can't find any fault in their wanting to be free from Roman rule. Uh, however, the problem is, is that they're content in their religion. 
they're missing the point. They're, uh, they're content with uh, checking their boxes and going through the motions of, uh, of their sacrifice and their rituals and their uh, celebrating of their feast. And they've owned their, uh, their honor that's been bestowed upon them by men and the way that they, uh, the way that they could present themselves and walk around in their piety and the, uh, and the, the way that people look up to them, the religious rulers of the day. And so they're content with their religion. It had been their, genera- their tradition for generations. They, they weren't really looking for a change in their system of worship. They weren't looking for a, a change in, <coughs> in, their, in, their mor- in their morality, their moral laws, and their, uh, and their way of going about life. They were just simply content uh, to live the way that they lived free of the Roman, uh, of the Roman oppression. But that's not the life that Jesus was bringing. And that's not what God was offering. And so, if I'm content this morning with religion, then I'll never be content with Jesus. And if I'm a person that comes in and I'm content with a religious system of worship, now I'm, I'm not an anti-traditional person. I'm a, a really a pretty traditional type of a person. I'm not one to just uh, wildly abandon things and, uh, and go off and do all kinds of different things in different ways just for the sake of doing something different. If it's not broke, then it doesn't need to be fixed. Just, just worship the Lord, serve the Lord, uh, please the Lord. However, I want to recognize the difference between uh, biblical doctrine and tradition. And biblical doctrine is unchangeable. Tradition, especially the tradition of men, is just a tradition of men. They are content with tradition. They're content with the synagogue. They're content with their reading. They're content uh, with, uh, with uh, their, their, all of the things that they're forced to do, essentially, by the Mosaic Law. And they're not looking for uh, freedom from that. They're just content in religion. It had been that way for all of their all of their history as far as they were concerned at least from Moses on the problem was is that they missed the point of it all and Truly this morning, God has expectations for his church. God has expectations for his children. God has expectations for us to, uh, to not live up to as much as we submit ourselves to him and let him transform us into. And so when we come understanding, uh, I don't want to stand before God one day and have him say, you know, you meant well, but you missed the point. I don't want to live my whole life and invest my, uh, my whole years of ministry uh, and service to the Lord and then stand before him someday and say, you know, I, wish you, I, just, I just wish you would have gotten it. I wish it would have, the light would have come on at some point. You ever have those conversations with people, you know, where you're just like, you're trying to explain something and they just, they're just not grasping it. And then all of a sudden the light comes on and they got it. I hope this morning that whenever I converse with my Savior, that, that his impression of me is that the light's on and somebody's home. And so that's always a good thing. Uh, and so uh, we want to get what he's saying here. Their problem is that they understood the concept of sacrifice and atonement. They understood that. They understood that whenever they laid their hands on their atonement sacrifice, that it was symbolic of a transference of their sins to the animal. They understood uh, the, the symbolism of the shedding of blood, but they failed to recognize that there had to be one final sacrifice that would satisfy God for all of eternity. And that that sacrifice required a special lamb. A lamb that 
only God could provide. And as God provided the lamb in the wilderness for Abraham and Isaac, remember Isaac came and he said, where's the lamb? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. The only acceptable lamb for eternal sacrifice, for eternal atonement, is the lamb that only God could provide. And God provided us that lamb in the Lord Jesus Christ. And before the Lion of Judah can come, the Lamb of God had to come. And they were missing then that understanding that that sacrifice would bring spiritual deliverance from the bondage of sin. Listen this morning, if we've been liberated from the bondage of our sin, the oppression of men then becomes secondary and short-lived. We may live, people can live in a lifetime uh, in, in horrible conditions, humanly speaking, uh, in bondage and under communism and, uh, and throughout history through all kinds of unimaginable things that, uh, that are terrible but still have great peace in their heart and a great relationship and great freedom for, with God that God will reward for eternity their service and their love. Those things become secondary in nature. They, they misunderstood the concept and they were seeking answers. But the truth is, is that the religious crowd were seeking answers to justify the way that they lived and the way that they wanted to feel about themselves rather than seeking the truth. And I wonder this morning, how often do we come truly with an open heart? And how often do we come simply trying to meet and to hear about a Jesus that will help us to feel good about ourselves rather than one that will transform us into what he needs us and wants us to be. They sought answers to justify their lives. And because of that, they left confused and angry. Let that sink in for a minute. If I come and hear the word of God purely proclaimed and the truth is correctly presented and I leave confused and angry about that, Perhaps I'm confused and angry because the God that I'm looking for is not the God that truly exists. I'm looking for one that measures up to my standard rather than allowing myself to be changed into his standard. Those who sought truth found a savior. And that's essentially the two groups of people here. There are groups that they just want to disprove and they want to find out what all the hubbub's about and they want to uh, come and they want to uh, condemn that which they don't agree with and they want to justify uh, their own lives and then there are those that are genuinely seeking truth. Notice the response of those uh, who are genuinely seeking truth when he says, Behold the Lamb of God in verse 36, and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. It's amazing how when I'm truly seeking truth, it doesn't matter what the message is and how much it rubs me the wrong way or how hard it confronts the sin of my life. My right response is to follow Jesus. Amen. If I'm truly seeking truth, when the Spirit of God speaks to me, I'll be willing to turn loose of my sin to follow Christ. Amen. And until I'm willing to turn loose of my sin, I'll never truly be a follower of Jesus. Where am I this morning? What's my attitude this morning? Why am I here this morning? Do I come this morning seeking for justification of the way that I want to live, looking for a Jesus that fits the figment of my imagination? Or do I come humbly before him and saying, God, here I am, such as I am. If you'll reveal yourself to me, I want to know you and I want to accept you. That's the God that presents himself this morning. So I want you to notice in John the Baptist this morning in verse number 29 of uh, chapter 1 here in our text, he says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming in, 
uh, coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the one that I've been telling you about. You got to get the picture here. The crowds are assembled. He's being questioned. He's baptizing people. He's preaching truth. He's preaching against sin. He's preaching the coming Messiah. And then all of a sudden he looks up and there's Jesus standing on the horizon. And he says, behold, there he is. This is him. This is the one that I've been telling you about. He's the point. He's why we're here. So why don't you consider this morning, first of all, that what he's doing is introducing us to the Lamb. So consider, first of all, the introduction of the Lamb. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, and he makes it clear that he's talking to, about this man who is approaching. And I would say, first of all, this morning, as we talk about the introduction of the Lamb, that he is introducing to us a person. A real person. May I say to you this morning that Jesus is not just merely a historical figure, a painting hanging on a wall, uh, or some symbol, or some uh, some uh, that something that we uh, kind of look to as uh, as uh, as you know just uh, uh, something to cling to religiously. He's a real person. Amen. Jesus is a man. You said, Pastor, he's God. Yeah, he's God too. Amen. But I don't understand that. Neither do I. He'll explain it when we get to heaven. I have some things you just have to accept by faith. There are some things that the human mind can't comprehend. God is too big for our minds to understand. I don't have to understand it all. I've seen enough. I've seen enough people's lives touched. I've seen enough people's lives transformed. I've seen enough people that were broken, healed, and restored that put their faith in God to doubt them. I've had too many prayers answered. I've had too much impact and change in my own life. There are too many things providentially that I've read about even this, the founding of our own nation, let alone throughout all of history. Too many providential things and meetings that took place within my own life that could not have happened, but God had intervened. That there's no other explanation than Him. I'm not going to doubt today uh, what what someone wants to come up and say, well, it didn't happen that way for me. That's the point. I didn't have to rest upon something that I just read in the book. I could read it in a book and I could gain understanding and I could see it come to life in the lives of others. And what people need today is not a redefined Jesus. They need to see the real Jesus alive and well in your life and in mine. They need to see him at work in your heart and my heart. They need to see him inspiring people's lives to be different. They need to see values changing and morality changing. We need to see people standing up and making a, a stand and proclaiming that sin is sin. And what God calls an abomination is an abomination. And what God calls immorality is immorality. And what God says is right is right. And what he says wrong is wrong. And it doesn't matter if the whole world embraces it. If God's against it, it's still sin. And it had come to the understanding that when John looked up and saw Jesus, he said, I want to introduce you folks to somebody. He is the Lamb of God. He's the one I proclaim. And he's real. He's a man. He's a person. And he'll reach out and touch you. And you can reach out and touch him. And you can talk to him. And he can empathize with you. And he can love you. But he's a man. He gets angry when we sin. He gets brokenhearted when we disappoint him. He sheds tears when his heart is broken. And when his heart breaks with us. And you see, Jesus exemplify all of those things through his ministry. 
You see him deal with the money changers in the temple in righteous indignation and anger. You see him bring, uh, and we'll see him bring judgment. You see him <coughs> weep with, uh, with, Lazarus, with the family of Lazarus over the death of his friend, even though he knew that in just a moment he was going to bring him back to life. You, you see him that care for those and have compassion uh, that crucified him and treated him so horribly. You see him do all of these things uh, because he is a man. He was flesh and blood. He, had, he shed that blood for you and for me. He's not something that's just hung on the wall or someone that we read about in a book. He's real. And I need to realize this morning that the God that I serve and that the Jesus that saved my soul uh, is someone that is real, that I can converse with, that is praying for me, uh, to the Father that cares about uh, my needs, that wants to intervene in my life and uh, wants to be a blessing to me. He introduced a person, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 said, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as, like as we are, and yet without sin. Anything that you've experienced, anything that I've experienced, Jesus experienced. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be loved. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to be murdered, executed for a crime that he did not commit. He went willingly to pay for the crimes that we've committed. He knows he's real. He's a person. And if we understand this morning that the Jesus that I serve is not some function of religion, but he is a real person who died for me personally, who wants a relationship with me, personally, listen, when the whole world says, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus is standing there saying, I do. Amen. When everybody else turns on you, when everybody else grows weary with you, when everyone else says that, that there's no hope for you, Jesus stands there and says, if you'll just put your faith and trust in me, that person that says you'll never amount to anything uh, will be proven wrong because I'll make something out of you. Amen. He's real. And he's a person. May I say to you this morning that he did not only just to introduce a person, but he introduced the purpose of his coming. Jesus didn't just come because he didn't have anything better to do. I mean, Jesus isn't sitting at the right hand of God in heaven one day and just deciding, you know, I'm kind of bored up here in heaven, Father. I think I'll go down to earth and be crucified. That, 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 that's not the way that it worked. He knew whenever we were created, when he created us, that, that we were going to sin. And he knew what, the required, what it was going to require to fix the problem. And he still valued the relationship that he wanted with you enough that he went through with the plan. I don't know about you. Seems like a lot of trouble for not much return on my investment. I mean, if I'm sitting in heaven, I'm thinking, God, if I create this, if I create Adam and Eve, this is what they're going to do. This is the problem that's going to cause. You know, I, I, it's just not going to be worth the trouble. I can tell you how many times my wife will look at something, evaluate it, and my wife and I will talk it through and we'll say, okay, do we want to do this or we want to go here? Do we want to go there? Do we want to do that? Or, uh, you know, and a lot of times it's yes, but sometimes it's like I say, you know, it's just not going to be worth it. It's not going to be worth the energy that it's going to take, the money that it's going to cost, uh, the, the wear and tear on, uh, our, uh, on us that it's going to be. It's just not worth it. We're just not going to, it's just, let's just not do that. God could have done that. But he didn't do that because that's how valuable a relationship with you is to him and a relationship with me is. 
You see, we got, Pastor, he's got that with everyone. Yeah, but he's God. He has the ability to make it unique and personal for every individual. I love the story of Susanna Wesley. She had, I think, 18 or 19 children. She spent an hour with each child individually a week. They had all kinds of time throughout the day where it was all together, big family, but she made sure in raising her children that she spent an hour alone with every child every week. That, that's a pretty tall task. And God used her children. It's amazing how God can make everything unique and individual because he's a personal savior. He's not one size fits all. He has the unique ability to be exactly what you need him to be. He has the ability to love you the way that you must be loved. He has the way of reaching out to you in a way that only he can reach out to you. You know, if you, if you work with people, you learn that you can't just take a, 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 a cookie cutter approach to every individual person that you come to. Everyone has similar but different experiences. Everyone has different hurts, different ideas, different ways of dealing with things. Uh, it, it really, it, it can be pretty stressful sometimes trying to make everything work. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's no problem for God. He knows everything about you. And he cares about it. So I want you to consider we introduced to the person, but also to the purpose. What is his purpose? Well, Paul wrote about it to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 uh, when he says that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And listen, here's a saying, Timothy. It's worthy of acceptance by everyone. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Why did he come? Why did he go through this? Why was he willing? To, because he came to save uh, sinners. In John uh, gospel here in chapter 6 and verse 38, uh, he tells us that for I came, Jesus said, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. I came down from heaven to do my father's will. My father's will is to save our souls. He introduced the purpose. He didn't come for no reason. He didn't come on vacation. He came to save sinners. Thirdly, consider that everyone must have their way prepared as they are introduced to the Savior. We must be drawn to God, John wrote. God draws us to himself. It's the working of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction in our heart and wooing us to God as we seek truth. And I would just say this before we move on here, that for whom... Am I preparing the way? See, John the Baptist is here to prepare the way. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. Do you realize this morning that in a sense, all of us are to be John the Baptist? We're all to be preparing the way for someone? Can I answer the question this morning, honestly, before God, uh, make, a, uh, make a, a, a very short list of people that I can say, I'm preparing the way to Christ for that individual. And if not, can I say I'm praying for God to introduce me to that one that he would have me prepare the way for? That's why we're here. That's what God wants us to be doing. Am I actively seeking someone to share Christ with? Am I preparing their way and their heart to Christ? And if I don't have that person on my heart, am I even bothering to go to the Savior and say, Lord, who is it that you would have me to reach on your behalf? 
Am I preparing the way for someone this morning? John's here saying, listen, I want to introduce you to the Lamb of God. He's real. He's a person. He came for a purpose and he needs his way prepared. And that's why he sent me out here. And if you'll trust him, that's what he's going to send you to do on his behalf. Secondly, this morning, consider not only the introduction of the lamb, but the integrity of the lamb. Not just any lamb would do. Not just any sacrifice is acceptable. And in verses 32 through 34, we see, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So what John is saying here when he says, I, I don't know him, he's not saying he didn't know who Jesus was. They were cousins. He knew who Jesus was. And he knew that he thought who Jesus would be. And if you'll remember, and as he's in prison, getting ready to be executed, he questions again. Hey, he sends his disciples to the disciples of Jesus and says, is he still, is he really the one? Did I get it right? And Jesus, remember, tells them, <coughs> go back and tell John that the blind receive their sight and the dead are raised to life and those with infirmities are healed. Yeah, he got it right. He's not saying, I don't know who this Jesus is. He's saying that I need this confirmation that this is truly the Christ. That Jesus, my cousin, is the Christ. And I saw the dove and God had told them, the one that you see the dove descend upon and remain. Another passage is the one. It's confirmation. And he says here, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. How did he bear record? By his own personal experience. How can I, pastor, go and tell someone else that Jesus is real? By your own personal experience. You can go and tell someone how their sins can be, uh, can be atoned and forgiven because your sins have been atoned and forgiven. You can tell someone how Jesus can change their life because you've allowed him to change your life. You can tell them that he's real and that he answers prayer because he answers your prayer. But if you never pray, if you never listen, if you never read, if you never experience him, then you've got nothing to say. The integrity of the Lamb. I want you to notice, first of all, that he was foretold by the prophets. He tells us this in chapter 1 here in verse 23. He, and he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. Isaiah told of the virgin birth. Isaiah told of his rule as the lion later. Isaiah told in chapter 53 of the immense suffering that he would have to endure on behalf of of his children to bring atonement. Isaiah and the other prophets told and proclaimed that Jesus, listen, Jesus does not come here and self-proclaim himself to be God. Jesus comes with John bearing witness, with the prophets bearing witness, and with the Spirit of God bearing witness that he's the Son of God. He's been foretold by the prophets. The integrity of the Savior, of the Lamb. Is he real? Is he validated? Is he the one? Or is he just somebody that wants to step in and be the one? Is he genuine? Is he authentic? He's been authenticated by the prophets. Secondly, he was acknowledged by God. 
in Matthew chapter number 3 uh, and verse number 17, uh, we, we see this uh, similar, uh, the, another accounting of this uh, experience. And uh, when he says, and, a, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hey, listen, if there's any doubt that Jesus is the one, that Jesus is the sacrifice, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Son of God, listen to God. Because God proclaimed from heaven in an audible voice for all to hear that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The integrity of the Lamb this morning, he was foretold by the prophets. He was acknowledged by God and he was confirmed by the testimony of John. Confirmed by John's testimony. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. When I consider this morning my plight in this, how does that relate to me, Pastor? His integrity this morning to everyone that we know is being confirmed or denied by the way that we live. You stop and you think about this for a moment. You bear the name Christian. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. The way that I live, the way that I act, the way that I treat people, the way that I worship, the way that I serve God either denies or authenticates. I either credit or discredit the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I have no desire to stand before him one day and find out that I was a discredit to the name of Christian. I don't want to stand and, uh, and, and be denying who and what he is. His integrity is confirmed or denied by our testimony. Thirdly, consider the inclination of the Lamb. Or our inclination to the Lamb, excuse me. <coughs> Am I inclined to Him this morning? Listen, if you're here and you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you should be inclined to Him. What does that mean? That means that I should be turned to Him and I should have a propensity to be drawn to Him. I should be drawn to God. My life should be drawn to Him. My outlook, the things that I do, how I uh, value things should be drawn to Christ. Am I inclined to the Lamb this morning? Or am I leaning to my own understanding and to the things of this world? Three thoughts about this and we'll conclude this morning. Number one, our hearts, are our hearts turned to the Lord? They must turn to the Lord. Our hearts must turn to the Lord. If you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning and your heart's turned more to this world than it is to Him, there's a problem. My heart should be turned to Him. You say, well, Pastor, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Well, let me put it in this context. If you're married this morning and your heart is inclined to anyone other than your spouse, that's a problem. And it's not going to lead to anything good. And it's the same principle in my relationship with God. My heart must be inclined to my Savior. And if it's not, it's not going to lead to anything good in my walk with Him. He is first. He is the one I'm committed to. He's the one that's committed to me. Our hearts must turn to the Lamb. And by the way, 
You remember early on that I stated that the Pharisees that came out to question John came looking for the Messiah that fit their definition of who and what Messiah would be and not the reality of who and what Messiah is. I'm not talking about this morning my heart being inclined to what I think and what I want and what I desire for Jesus to be. I talk about as my heart inclined to who Jesus is. Am I willing to allow him to reveal his true self to me and to accept him? I would say secondly on this thought that his sacrifice must be accepted. Listen, if Jesus came and offered himself and God did not accept that sacrifice, then it wouldn't have done us any good. But because he was an acceptable sacrifice, because he was the one sent by God, God accepted that sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 12, uh, it makes it clear uh, that his sacrifice was accepted whenever he tells us that but this man, after he, Jesus had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. If God had not accepted his sacrifice, he would not have allowed him access to the right hand of the throne. By God's bringing him into his presence and allowing him back into heaven and putting him on his rightful position on the throne. I've accepted your sacrifice. Listen, this morning, if I'm not willing to accept, if God wasn't willing to accept his sacrifice, it was for naught. But God did accept his sacrifice. I would say, secondly, that the sacrifice then must be accepted by the recipient. If I do not accept his sacrifice, it won't do me any good. Now, God's accepted his sacrifice and payment for all sin of all men for all time. No person that spent eternity in hell will do so because Jesus didn't pay for their sin. It's paid for. But many will spend an eternity in hell because they would not accept the payment on their behalf. Imagine yourself standing with a tremendous debt that you, you could not begin to pay in a million years. And someone walks in as the judge is ready to put you. We don't have debtor's prisons anymore, but it used to be if you didn't pay your bills, they put you in prison until somebody in your family paid it. And so, you know, they, and they called them debtor's prisons. You see that relevant in biblical times. If, if I'm standing before the judge ready to go to debtor's prison and someone comes in and says, uh, you owe $10 million and uh, you make $50 a year. When are you going to pay your debt? I'm not going to pay that debt. I can't pay that debt. Well, here's someone that wants to pay it for you. No, I don't want them to pay my debt. But that means prison for life. That's Okay. Anybody but him. If that's my attitude toward Christ, it's not that he didn't pay the debt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept the payment. No one goes to hell because God hates people. But God is love. How could a God of love send anyone to hell? He doesn't. We were already condemned to hell because of Adam's sin, because of our sin nature. Jesus and God have done everything possible to reconcile us to him, to pay our debt. The debt's been paid. But if I won't let the judge stamp paid in full on my account, then I've got to pay it myself. No one can pay that debt. God comes and says, I've sacrificed. You must accept my sacrifice. I ask you this morning, have you accepted his sacrifice? 
Have you acknowledged, first of all, that you owe a debt that you can't pay? See, I have to understand that I've sinned against God. And I have to understand that the payment for my sin has to be made. That, yeah, God loves me, but God's also just and holy and perfect. And God does not and will not compromise one aspect of his nature or character to satisfy another. We tend to kind of think in those terms that, hey, if I've got an excuse or if I've got this or, you know, that person's an angry person. Listen, God gets angry. The Spirit of God grieves. The Holy Ghost grieves. We grieve him sometimes by our actions. God the Father sits on his throne from heaven uh, and looks down and, uh, and, and uh, I can't say that he looks in disbelief because he knows everything. But if, uh, to put it in just a, a way, I mean, have you ever looked at somebody and said, I can't believe they did that. I, I saw it coming. I knew it was going to happen. But I still just can't believe that they did that. You know how many times God does that to us? How do they not get that? I'm just saying this morning that if I don't understand that there is a God who is perfect and righteous and holy, who cannot compromise that, but does not have to compromise that because he made sure that justice was served when Jesus died for me. That he can attribute that payment to my account. But I have to recognize I've sinned against you, God, and I can't pay my debt. But Jesus paid it, and I'm willing to accept him as my Savior and receive the gift that he's given me. And when I do that, God transforms my life. The Holy Spirit moves inside my heart, and he guides and leads me every step of the way, as well as I'll let him. My sacrifice must be accepted by God and by me. And then lastly, consider that that means that a new, a new direction is going to be the natural result of that. And people that come and they just say, well, pastor, if you believe what you believe, then I can, uh, I can just pray a prayer and I can accept Christ as my Savior and I can keep on living like the devil. I can keep living in sin. I can keep, uh, I can keep boozing it up. I can keep uh, being dishonest. I can keep doing this and I can keep robbing from this person. I can keep mistreating people. I can keep my angry spirit. I can be bitter. I can be all of these things. No, because the natural result of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit indwelling your heart and the Father in heaven from his throne uh, seeing all of life and, and, and keeping everything moving together that he satisfied, the natural result of that is a change of direction. He said, behold, you are a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. Notice what he says in what we see in verse 37. We see these two disciples here. And these two disciples here, who at this point had been disciples of John, but when they get introduced to Jesus, and John has no problem with them switching allegiance from himself to the true Lamb of God. And they come to him in verse 7, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They're no longer following John. Now they follow Jesus. And they come to him, and they said, Where dwellest thou? He said, Come and see. May I say to you this morning that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're looking for him and you want to know him better and you want to please him and you go to him and you say, Jesus, I received your gift of salvation. What does that mean for my life now? Jesus' response is his response to them. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I can do in your life. 
Come and see how I can grow you, how I can change you. Come and see how I can comfort you. Come and see how I can meet your needs. Come and see how I can take your broken, meaningless life and I can fill you and use you in a way that will impact all, impact all of eternity. That's what he wants to do this morning. Amen. And there's one standing out by the river saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And there are people there seeking a Messiah. And some are seeking for the, who they want Messiah to be. And some are seeking for truth. And there are people in churches all across this country this morning in the world. And some are in genuine churches and some are in pseudo churches. And some of them are just looking for Jesus to fit their definition of Jesus. And some are looking for truth. And if you're looking for truth this morning, may I say to you that there is a Lamb of God who loves you, who gave himself for you, and who wants to make all the difference in your life. And if you'll look at him and say, Master, who are you? What are you? Where are you? What would you have me do? He stands ready, willing, and able to save your soul, to transform your heart, and to say to you, come and see. Would you come and see this morning who Jesus is? Would you come and see what Jesus can do with your heart? Would you come this morning and see how Jesus can change everything and make everything new?